What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about the coming earthquake in Israeli politics. The fall of Netanyahu after 12 years as prime minister who will be replaced by a coalition in which right-wing religious nationalists agreed to join with secular moderates and an Israeli Arab Islamist party. For comment, we turn to Amy Willens. She was the New Yorker's Jerusalem Bureau chief. She wrote a novel about Palestinians and Jews called Martyrs Crossing. And she's published in the New York Times, the Atlantic, the LA Times, and she's a longtime contributing editor at The Nation. We reached her today at home in Los Angeles. Hi, Amy. Hi, John. Well, this unlikely coalition was provoked by one man, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. So first we have to understand Bibi, as they call him, and why he has provoked such broad opposition. We're told he's just like Trump. He got elected by fostering a cult of personality. He's an authoritarian and a racist and a liar. He panders to the far right. But of course, in some ways, he's not like Trump. First of all, you have to say Trump is like Bibi because who was in power first? So Bibi's been in power for 12 years. Bibi was like that before Trump even appeared. Bibi knows Trump, and he knows particularly the Kushner family, with whom he was tight for a long time. And so, you know, naturally it comes to mind that he's like Trump. Yeah. But the biggest difference is that Bibi actually represents a huge chunk of the Israeli electorate. So if there weren't this handful of religious right parties right now sucking away votes from him, his Likud would probably have garnered far more than 30 seats in the Knesset in the last vote. But the split is, this is the split in Israel. So that's the thing. Second, again, he's been in power for 12 years, unlike Trump, so that there is some serious BB fatigue in Israel among natural supporters. You get to know a guy really well. Eh, You don't like him so much. This guy, there's a lot not to like. He's under uh, suspicion of corruption. There have been many cases brought against him. So he's in big trouble in that he resembles Trump, I guess. But he's seen by people like Naftali Bennett, who has worked closely with him and who is going to be the next prime minister under this new coalition as an obstacle to the rising right-wing generation of politicians, especially Bennett himself. So 
be be seen as a threat, not only to the ambitions of new politicians, but to the actual right-wing agenda itself that Bibi has thought for so long that he represents because of this growing Bibi fatigue. I think that his his personality has not managed to sustain the cult of his personality. I, I mean, he recently and immorally used the time-honored method of keeping power. He started a war. Yeah. More than 200 Palestinians died. A big handful of Israelis died so that Bibi could keep his premiership. But they all died in vain because he's out. So that's not making anyone very happy on either end of the political spectrum in Israel. Yeah, that's the the one way in which Bibi has made Trump look good is that Bibi provoked a war to try to stay in power. Trump just provoked an attack on the Capitol. Very bad, but not quite as bad. He provoked an attack on democracy, but he didn't start World War III with North Korea in spite of his best attempts. Right, right. And we need from you a fast course on Israeli politics. Of course, it's a parliamentary system with lots of little parties that are impossible for Americans to keep track of. No clear majority for a while now. We know the two great historic forces in Israel since its founding have been the labor movement and the religious right. How is this working today? Well, I mean, it's a much more fragmented society, and that is reflected in its parliament. And then the parliament creates each government, each successive government. You've had, I believe, four elections in two years because Bibi has not been able to keep hold of power properly. His his own coalitions keep fragmenting, and then elections are called. So what happens is it after every election in this parliament that's so fragmented with all these micro parties, you have wheeling and dealing to form a majority coalition and to gain the executive seat, i.e. the prime minister's seat. And as we've seen in the current coalition, it's not always the biggest party in a group that gets the prime minister's seat, but instead it can be a little party whose support was most needed and possibly least likely, like uh, Naftali Bennett's Yamina party, which is even farther to the right than Bibi Netanyahu's, but is going to be head of what is perceived as a secular moderate coalition because its majority is secular moderate. But the people who gave it the power to have a majority in the Knesset are the little religious right parties. They're not all religious, but they're all right, except for the Islamist party. I learned from reading Haaretz, our favorite Israeli newspaper, that this new prime minister-to-be, Naftali Bennett, even though he heads a right-wing religious party, is not really very religious and hasn't always been very right-wing. He doesn't quote the Torah. He doesn't quote the rabbis. He's supposedly a settler leader, but doesn't live in a West Bank settlement. He lives in an upper-class, uh, uh, upper-middle-class Tel Aviv suburb. Uh, he's belonged to five different parties since he entered politics. He should be from New Jersey because that's the kind of politician he is. He's fluid. He's fluid. Uh, I was very interested to learn that his parents are Americans who grew up in the 60s. They were 60s people in San Francisco. They were secular Jews. They were anti-war activists, but they moved to Israel after the 67 war and gradually became more and more religious and right wing. 
Bennett, as you've said, is the younger generation on the Likud side. He grew up after the 67 war, which means his life was much more comfortable, much more middle class. He didn't have the existential fears of the founding generation. So even though he's more right-wing and more religious than Netanyahu, really he's not, we are told anyway by Haaretz, he's not really that religious and maybe not even that right-wing. Well, we're trying to normalize him here in Haaretz. Haaretz is a secular, moderate left paper. They want it to be okay. They want the coalition to succeed. Um, and they, they even whether want or not want, they come at it from that point of view. I I would say that what Bennett seems the most like to me is uh, less than a religious zealot. He seems like a super nationalist. And that's yeah. what I think he is. And that's what that generation coming from that kind of background can be if they move to Israel. I mean, that does yeah. tend to harden them in their um, support of the nation. Um, I disagree with you that, that that generation doesn't have the same uh, existential concern about the state that the original um, fighters for Israel had. I think that the war of the Palestinians against the Israelis gave uh, nationalists and uh, ammunition to uh, feel fear and insecurity in ways they probably didn't need to because they were so well supported and underwritten by the United States, the greatest power on earth at the time, at least. But in any case, he's going to be the first prime minister of Israel to wear a kippah or yarmulke, as we used to say, all the time. Like you're going to see him. And to a lot of people, he's going to look a lot more like a straight up, as my children would say, Jew than Netanyahu does, because he's going to have a, a black kippah on his head. And he is far right. What, you know, what's the distinction in the existential question for Israel between Bennett and Netanyahu, except that Bennett seems to be more rational, not have a cult of personality yet, maybe after 12 years. And, and the religious right, we see them as embattled against their ideological enemy, the secular left. But I think it's important not to forget that there are political rivalries and and Likud is kind of a monster that's gulped up all the power. And if you're not in good with Likud on the right, then you have a problem. These little guys want some of that, these little parties. Bennett, as I said, would not be PM in a Likud coalition. Never. So we know who would be, who would be prime minister now if Likud had formed a proper coalition, which it was incapable of doing. Uh, it would be Bibi again. So what interest does Yamina or Yisrael Batenu, Avigdor Lieberman's party, still have in Likud? They don't have an interest in Likud. And there is always the chance that the coalition deal with the secularists will not hold and that Bennett will somehow continue as premier beyond his two allotted years, although I don't see how that can happen. But Israeli politics is as much of a snake pit as New Jersey's, as I said, and they're all wheeling and dealing in there still to this very moment. And we have to talk about the biggest earthquake in the history of Israeli politics, an Israeli Arab Islamist party entering the government with the kicker that it's part of a coalition headed by the religious right. This is the first time since the creation of Israel that Palestinians, Muslims, will be part of the government. 
you have explained that this was necessary a necessary deal for these smaller parties to get their majority in the Knesset. But let's look at the Palestinian side. Aren't the Islamists selling out? Mansour Abbas is head of the Islamist Party of Israel, and of course he's being accused of selling out by Hamas in particular. Abbas is isn't he betraying the Palestinian cause to join with the far right, the people who have denied Palestinian rights, who've seized their houses, who've settled the West Bank? First of all, let's say why the party is in this coalition. Because they needed four more votes. And Ram, the name of this party, has four more votes. So they needed them to gain that coalition majority in the Knesset and thus the prime minister's office and power. So that's it. They couldn't find anyone else. They took them. So now let's get to the question of sellouts. Okay. Are they selling out? You know, we say Islamist party. And then for the Israelis, we say religious party, far right religious party. So this is a religious party. And let's not call them Islamists because then we get confused. Did they fly airplanes into the World Trade Center? What's going on? We get very confused. So they're not that. This Islamist party has been electing people to the Knesset for, what, 20 years, forever. It's it's a well-entrenched party. And they're realists. And they, they know the Israelis. These are Palestinian Israelis, first of all, or Palestinians who live in Israel and their parents before them. Many of them longer than a lot of the Jews in the Knesset, by the way. And... Their constituency is not really Gaza or even the West Bank, although, of course, they feel a brotherhood, as you said, a Muslim brotherhood with those people, a Palestinian brotherhood, a national brotherhood with them. But their constituency is the Palestinian citizens of Israel. And they're more like pothole legislators than like statesmen right now. And they may make statesmen like statements, but just the way the whole coalition wants to present itself as a coalition that's going to work on infrastructure and bridges and budgets and, you know, housing and housing and health care. That's what these guys want to do for the Palestinian neglected Palestinian citizens of Israel. But that said, of course, it's important for Palestinians everywhere to consider what the inclusion of this party might mean. And I think what it means is that Israel constituted one way this way needs them. It needs, all of a sudden, it needs its Arab citizens. You saw Netanyahu understand that during the last election. He started campaigning for the first time in the Arab areas of Israel. So anyway, it's not so surprising that a government in Israel would be composed of the two extremes with a large pile of, quote, moderates in the middle, because that's what Israel is like. Abbas's party does call for evacuating Israel's West Bank settlements, It favors establishing a Palestinian state with a capital in Jerusalem. It argues for giving Palestinian refugees the right of return to Israel. So in all those ways, it's not selling out the Palestinian cause. And maybe I'm a member of that party all of a sudden. (laughs) I listen to you detail their platform. But, you know, they're also in a coalition with the Israeli government now. It's going to be hard, but they also want that infrastructure in Israeli Arab towns and they want housing and they want the policing of organized crime, which is a big problem in those areas. So I I think we have to say they have, you know, they have two two sides of their head, but it doesn't make them two faced. 
they're thinking about two major things for for the place where they live. So the Islamist party that has joined the government is doing this for Palestinians in Israel, not for Palestinians in Gaza. What does this new government mean for Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank? Is there going to be any change in the blockade? Is there going to be any restrictions on expanding settlements? Is there going to be any effort to revive the peace process? We don't know yet because we don't know what were the encouragements offered to this party by the coalition to get them to join. Easily, they could have said, and we've been out of power forever. We can stand to be out of power for another cycle till the next election runs its course, till the next election happens. They didn't need to join, but perhaps they were given certain kinds of encouragement about policy or, or about the pothole issues. We don't really know. My guess is Palestinians who are very political and understand pretty well what's going on for them can't be that ecstatic about the Hamas response to Israeli provocation, which then led to Israeli bombings and no movement forward. And the, I think they'll adopt a wait and see policy about this, this party in the, in the Israeli government. But for the Palestinians, I think their real response to the coalition taking away power from Bibi is like, meh, they're still Israelis. They still hate us. We still don't have our homeland. None of the policies that Ram is, stands for is going to really be the policy of the Israeli government. So more of the same, more obfuscation on behalf of Israel in front of the world community because Israel wants to be left alone and go about its own policies. I don't think the Palestinians feel any great surge of optimism with Bibi out of power. One last thing. This is a coalition in which the bigger party, the moderate secular party, is headed by a guy named Lapid. He's supposed to, they're supposed to rotate the prime ministership and he's supposed to take, become the prime minister in two years. And he has always favored a two-state solution. He wants to open regional talks. He wants talks with the Palestinian Authority. He wants a land deal for the West, on the West Bank. Uh, he wants a separate Palestinian state and a separate Jewish state. But he won't be prime minister for two years. And of course, this is a very unstable coalition that Bibi is going to be trying to destroy in the meantime. Let's talk about the likelihood of this coalition surviving for two years until Lapid can take the office he's been promised. Well, first of all, it would be mistaken to think that Lapid can do what he wants once he's prime minister. Yes. Um, although having the having the premiership and the majority is good, and that's why he had to give it to um, Bennett first. Will he get the prime minister's seat in two years? If Bennett can last for two years, I believe that Yair Lapid will be the next prime minister of Israel. If there's another war for some reason, I don't know. I don't think Bibi, if he hasn't been able to stop this coalition from being sworn in, which I believe they will be sworn in this week. I don't think he can break up this thing. I don't know if he's going to be the head of Likud. I don't know what power he's really going to wield. Amy Willens, our expert on Israeli politics. Amy, thanks for helping us today. I hope I have. <laughs> Thank you, Jenna. You've 
You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.